As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So today on the show, we have John Livesey, who is a funding strategist. He helps founders raise capital. He hosts a podcast all about crafting your pitch, and he's written, today's an incredibly actionable, actionable conversation. We talk about the elements of a good pitch, how to break down your elevator pitch, and what types of questions you'd expect once you land a meeting with investors, and how to handle those questions. So stay tuned. It's a really great actionable conversation today. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So, you know, you host uh, a podcast all on pitching, the successful pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... 
you you also have a book on the seven most powerful selling secrets, and I assume there's a lot of similarities here between the sales mm. and yes. pitching. Um, what is your kind of philosophy around the pitch? How do you how do you approach it? The pitch is uh, your ability to tell a story that grabs the heartstrings of the investors and pulls hard. Mm. And most tech people make the mistake of talking about how cool their idea is and how it works and the technology behind it. And what they don't understand is that you have to see things through the investor's eyes. You have to have empathy for both your customers and your investors. And the investors are more interested in the jockey, which is the founder, and not the horse. Because the horse, as great as it is right now, will most likely pivot and change. So you People get so frustrated that they don't get a yes. Only 1% of pitches to angel or VCs get funded. And it's because they're pitching from the left side of the brain, the numbers and how something works, instead of emotionally pitching and getting a memorable story that grabs their attention and makes you somebody they want to invest in. What are the elements of that story, especially in you know relation to funding, uh, that you often mm. advise people to have? Well, the first thing I have to really get people to understand is you have to sell yourself first, then the company and culture you're creating, and then who you're helping and what problem you're solving, how big that market is, and what kind of return on investment that's going to give the investors. Mm. And that last part is really key. I work with my clients on giving them an exit strategy. I work with Judy Robinette. She's my business partner and crack the funding code. And it's so important to reverse engineer what you're doing and come up with an exit strategy. So you could see who could potentially buy your company in three to five years. So the investors see a three to five return on their investment. And you have to tell the story so that they think that they can get there, right? They can envision getting there with you. Yes. Right. Um, Typically when you pitch to an angel group, for example, um, they give you 10 minutes. Okay. So you should have 10 slides, one minute a slide. Those slides should be mostly visuals and not a bunch of words. And the whole goal of the pitch is to get the second date, Michael. It's not okay. to get the funding. And that's where people get the mistake is it's just to tell them enough to want them to know more. Okay. And then that second date is a longer mm-hmm. meeting. That's more of a deep dive, I assume. Well, in the case of what we did for um, Cole Smith, who has a great app about how to keep schools safe during emergencies or, God forbid, another shooter, mm. um, we got him in front of one angel investor who met him over a friendly you know, coffee meeting, liked what he heard, and said, I'm going to invite you to pitch to the angels group. That went really well. He got the second date, and the second date was still only 10 minutes, more people in the room, but the Q&A was 30 minutes. Mm. So we work with people not only on the pitch, but the questions are going to get asked after the pitch. Because if you don't prepare and have answers for those kinds of questions, you're like a deer in headlights, Michael. And you're like, oh, I don't know. And then you lose all credibility and you don't get funded. So I'd love to get to, to what are some of those questions. Um, but first, let's let's talk about crafting like the elevator pitch, which is the yes. basis that you expand, I assume, your longer pitch from. Um, exactly. What are the elements there? Uh, that you see? Well, the elements to a really great elevator pitch is to grab someone's attention right away with a statistic that they may or may not know. Okay. And then they go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then you proceed from there. So for the example, if I'm giving you the elevator pitch for crack the funding code, it sounds something like, did you know that only 1% of any pitch gets funded? And the problem is 
Most people pitch from the left side of the brain and all the selling and buying occurs on the right side of the brain where the stories are. We help people become storytellers so they inspire investors to join their team, get funded, and their business takes off. Very well, nice. Yeah. yeah. Boom, 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 right? That's yep. about less than six. That's an elevator ride. Um, and I describe give you a statistic that you didn't know. I describe who I'm helping, what problem I'm solving, and when that problem gets solved, what the results are from that. Okay. That's the format that a good elevator pitch has. And that could be during that coffee meeting. I mean, that, yeah, that's kind of where you right, pull that out. Yeah, right? that, that usually gets you the coffee meeting, okay. having that on a phone call. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And then if they want to actually see the platform, if you're selling an app or whatever, um, you start talking, you tell a story again of someone, you know, well, we're helping XYZ school make their school safer and the parents feel have peace of mind. And then you tell a story of, you know, how people are trying to solve this problem now and how much better it's going to be. So. Right now, it takes 15 minutes for all the parents to get notified through a bunch of phone calls. And this app, it notifies everybody, including first responders, in five seconds. Okay. So you instantly say, oh, I see the problem, and I see your solution. Very nice. Yeah. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So um, what kind of, once you get into that room, Mm. what kind of questions should you expect? Why you and why now okay. are the kinds of questions they're going to ask you. And then people have called me the pitch whisperer because not only do I help people with their nerves and calm them down like a horse whisperer does, because you <laughs> must, yeah, you must come across competent, but not arrogant. So it's a fine line. And you know, Arthur Ashe said the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. So many founders make the mistake of I'm just going to wing it. I don't want to sound robotic. And I said, well, let me hear what that sounds like. And I can tell you, Michael, it's a bunch of us and stumbling and boring, right? You right. bore the investors. You don't have a, when you inspire people, they pay attention. So the kinds of questions they're going to ask you is, well, why are you uniquely qualified to execute this idea? So in the case of Cole, he has a military background. He served in Africa and the Middle East and, you know, has an MBA. So he's uniquely qualified to be an expert on security in schools. Okay. Uh, and he has a personal passion for it because he has children, right? So that's the story. That's why you. Why now is everything. Because if you think about Uber or Airbnb, if they tried to launch 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been successful. People didn't have smartphones to be able to use to order the Uber. Or when the economy was having trouble in 2008, 2009, people wouldn't have, you know, that's what made people willing to even consider the option of letting a stranger rent their house or rent a room. Mm. So why now is really crucial to ask. And then more in-depth, sophisticated kinds of questions will include, what is your cost to acquire a new customer? How long does your customer stay with you? And what's the lifetime value of that customer? So they need to see that you've thought these things through and that you're the right person to execute. Even if you don't know the answer, what's the proper way to respond to some of those? You know, if, if you're just too new and you just don't mm-hmm. have that kind of data, is there a good response for that? Well, 
what we really work with people is making sure they have something prepared. Right. And I'm not talking about data necessarily being the answer. We anticipate that the best uh, projection of how much it's going to cost a, to acquire a new customer would be, you know, $10 based on us running X number of ads on Facebook, let's say over a period of time and getting those many people to click on it. So just the, the numbers don't have to be accurate. They understand it's a projection, but they want to see how you think and that you understand. One of the big mistakes to avoid, Michael, is saying, if we only get 1% of all the schools in America to use this <laughs> app, we'll be rich, right? I mean, you can't believe how many people say that. Um, or another big mistake is, oh, we'd like you to sign an NDA, Mr. Investor. Uh, non-disclosure agreement. Don't do that. You'll insult them. They see so many deals. Uh, they don't have time to steal your idea. Right. So there's a lot of mistakes uh, that people make um, so with wrong answers like that. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. And and that almost sounds like uh, overconfidence. Well, the times. NDA, it's, yeah. it's paranoia. It's, okay. it's not even over. It's paranoia that your idea is so unique uh, and that if somebody hears it, they're going to steal it. And, and again, it's not about the idea. It's about the person executing it and the team. Mm-hmm. That's what makes something successful. So um, we've kind of covered one of them, but I've heard you have three secrets to increase your confidence. Would you mind sharing those with us? No, I'm happy to. Yeah. Um, well, the first one is preparation, as I said. Right. Uh, and really practicing your pitch so that your confidence level goes up. Another is what I talked about, um, stacking your moments of certainty. One of my clients, Martin, said, I don't really feel that confident getting in front of people to pitch. I've done other things. I said, well, let's stack all your moments in your life of certainty. Write them all down, and we'll take a look at them and see you know, what you felt in those moments. And when you stack them all up and take those feelings with you into the meeting, because these meetings are really the Super Bowl of meetings. They're your Olympic moment, as I like to call it. Okay. So you have to get your 10 face on, your game face on, and remember all the other times you've been successful in other things. In Martin's case, he said, I grew up in the Netherlands, but I'm originally from South America. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in my culture, that's the rite of passage into manhood. That was a moment of certainty. I said, guess what, Martin? That's the opening to your pitch. (laughs) That gives you a story. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you memorable. Of all the pitches, they're going to invest in that guy that survived the Amazon jungle. I said, Martin, what did you learn in the Amazon jungle? He goes, well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. We're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And he won a pitch contest because he had a really strong opening like that. Nice. So that's an example of stacking your moments of certainty. So you stack your moments of certainty, you practice so that you're prepared, so your confidence goes up. And then another great tip for your listeners is the superhero pose. Have you heard about this? No. I'm intrigued. Harvard Harvard research studies have literally shown that if you stand like Superman, right? Your hands on your hip, shoulders back, head up. Imagine you've got a cape billowing in the wind. You know, you could be Wonder Woman, whoever you want to be, right? Male or female. Your testosterone level goes up in both men and women. Your cortisol stress level goes down. You hold this for two minutes and some doctors do it before surgery. So if you have that in your toolkit, do it before you go in or if you can do it in the hallway in private. One of my clients was doing it. His wife walked by and gave him a kiss. So you never know what's going to happen to you when you do the superhero pose. Interesting. But it's a great way to get your confidence up. Okay. You're stacking your moments of certainty. And really the big focus is focus on your progress, not your perfection. So many people don't celebrate the little moments of progress and achievements that they've accomplished. <laughs> and they focus on what they haven't done. 
and they're perfectionists, right? It's never good enough. And so I tell people, become a progressionist, not a perfectionist. And then communicating that in the conversation, I assume. Absolutely. Investors love to to hear that you've got progress in your traction and we've accomplished this and this and we've hit our milestones and, you know, join our our rocket ship ride, if (laughs) pardon the pun. Well done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the best way to attract investors? And Mm. where do you find diligence on them? Yes. Okay. Well, one of the problems that Judy Robinet and I have found is so many founders are in the wrong room with the wrong investors. Mm. They are pitching to just anybody. They think, oh, it's a numbers game. We're much more strategic about it. Certain investors are only interested in certain types of things, like we only invest in fintech or we only invest in mobile or whatever their specialty is. So one of the smartest things you can do is to find people's profiles on LinkedIn and go to their Uh, websites and see what other companies they've funded and reach out to those companies they funded and see if you can talk to those founders about what their experience has been. Because you want to make sure that who you get your money from is a good culture fit for you. Right. And one of our key things that we offer is once you're pitch ready, is we make those warm introductions to the investors. One investor said, if you can't figure out a way to get to me through your network, you probably can't figure out a way to get to your customers. That's fair. So 90% of it's through warm introductions. Um, Cold calling and hosting your stuff on sites is not terribly effective because they see so many pitches, 2,500 in a year and fund about 25. So, um, and out of those 25, 24 out of the 25 came through a warm introduction. Interesting. Because they have to know and like you, right? And when before we, you know, the investors that we know um, say to us, well, would you invest in this person and their company? And so it's our reputation on the line when we make those introductions. So we have to make sure that they have their pitch down cold and that they're fundable. Right. The kinds of peop- things that people are looking for when they meet you are, do I like and trust you? These are the unspoken pitch whisperer kinds of questions. <laughs> that Do I like and trust you? Are you the right person? Can you tell me a story of a time when you had a problem and how you overcame it, right? Because there's going to be bumps in the road. Are you somebody that's going to be coachable to my input and not just take my money? So you need to be able to communicate all that while you're pitching at the same time, because those are the questions that keep people from saying yes. And if you address them in your pitch, then you're much more likely to get a yes. I see. And they may never ask you those directly. No, but you need to know what those are. Hence, that's one of the strategic things that we have that comes across. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I mean, kind of along the same lines, how do you decide, you know, what investors to take on or or what do you advise people to look for um, in an investor? We look for someone um, as an investor. One of the things that we think is, is really crucial is that that investor is not trying to take too much equity. Okay. Uh, for the money they're giving you because a good investor will realize that the founder should maintain control so they have a vested interest in giving it their all, right? Mm-hmm. We look for an investor that not only has money but also has resources and contacts that can help you grow your company, especially if they become one of your board members. Okay. Um, and we look for investors that you like and, and want to do business with. You know, you don't want somebody who's going to micromanage you. You don't want somebody who's going to freak out anytime there's a problem. You want someone who's been through this before and believes in you and believes in what you're doing. And what about those early employees? Because I assume it's, it's similar, um, but m- there may be some slight differences. Well, the team is everything. 
um, that's part of the jockey, right? So you have to, as a founder, not only need to have a compelling story to investors, a compelling story to get customers, but you have to have a compelling story to create and attract top talent, the CTOs of the world, to join your team versus all the other startups. They have to believe in your vision, so you have to be able to paint a picture to create the right team to join your uh, group. Okay. So it, does that story differ from demographic to demographic, or is the core always the same? I would say, you know, you're talking about how to attract the right team. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or even looking at, like, the story to the team versus the story mm-hmm. to a customer, you know? Ah, uh, yes, okay. So the story to the customer, which is a sales uh, pitch, basically, mm-hmm. which is different than the pitch to investors because right. – the investors are looking at what's their ROI and what problem, how big is the market? The customer needs to know you're solving my problem better than anybody else can for a price that's worth it. So that's a, a different story and a different pitch deck. Um, but again, it's the better storyteller you are and the more case studies you have and the better that you can explain the problem, Michael, the better the customer assumes you have the solution. So that's a big takeaway for your listeners. Interesting. So you really need to become an expert in really understanding what this problem is, what your competitive set is. And when you're pitching an investor, you need to know what your barrier to entry is. Why can't somebody come and just do what you're doing? So, you know, Lyft came along and basically copies Uber, right? But if they're first to market, then they own market share. But some other technologies have patents that prevent people from catching up. Um, So your barrier to entry is important for investors. If I give you money, what's to prevent a bigger company coming and doing the same thing? Periscope's a classic example of that, Mm. you know. Uh, You know, then Twitter's just like, you know what, we're going to do our own. Thank you very much. Um, so if you become too de- uh, dependent on a platform that you don't have, haven't thought that through, uh, with customers, they're going to be looking at your competition. So you have to be able to say what's your unique selling point. And then when it comes to attracting the right team, you have to create a culture that fits them. You know, I heard a great line that people get hired for what they've done and fired for who they are. And the big paradigm shift now is figure out a way to hire people for who they are as opposed to what they've done so that you don't have to make someone who likes a lot of supervision work in a place that doesn't have supervision or vice versa. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. How do you find that out though? You know, the interview process is so tough and there's not a lot of time. Mm. Well, I think references are always a great source. Again, okay. the referrals, right? Yeah. <laughs> and ask people questions, just like an investor would ask you questions. Tell me a story of a time you had a challenge and wanted to give up but didn't. Okay. That's a story of their character, right? Mm-hmm. And their perseverance and their tenacity. Tell me a story of what your dream job is. What kind of culture do you work best under? Those kind of open-ended questions you make the person, and why would you want to work here? And you get them to sell them, you know, you're, so it's a mutual back and forth. Right, right. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing this here. Where um, can our listeners find you um, online? Where can they, you know, you have a, a lot of, of stuff out there. So tell us about some of it. Sure. Well, for your listeners, if they text uh, the word funding to 66866, and the word funding, I'll email them a free PDF of the three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching. Okay. Uh, my website is John Livesey, L-I-V as in Victor, E-S-A-Y.com. 
And uh, you can see the podcast I've done with other investors and listen and hear what investors are looking for. And then, you know, Crack the Funding Code is a web free webinar that anybody can um, watch and learn and get all kinds of great tips on what to do when you pitch. Nice. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. My pleasure. Big thanks to John Livesey for coming on today. If you'd like to keep up with John, you can go to sellingsecretsforfunding.com. And he has a ton of content available there. Thanks to our sponsors, uh, Optimizer WP, that's OptimizerWP.com, and Chargebee. You can check them out at Chargebee.com forward slash rocket ship. So our next series will be all about sales. We're going to be diving deep into the sales process. We'll be taking this week off, so there won't be an episode Wednesday, but look out for the first interview next Sunday. Uh, with Timo Rain of Pipedrive. Please subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to and make sure to leave us a review. It helps out so much. And if you haven't yet, follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You can follow me at Michael Saka and Joel at Joel Goldman. We'll see you in just a couple days. Hey.